welcome to Bleeding Edge Interviews. I am your host, Super Dave. Thank you for joining me as I spend some time talking to the people responsible for all the amazing music you hear on Bleeding Edge on Toxic Radio. This is where we get a little bit of insight into the minds of the people who are making the choice on a regular basis to deviate from the norm and push the boundaries of rock and metal. Well, if you've been paying attention to the prog metal world over the last uh, about three years or so, you have probably noticed a band on the rise, making waves, starting to get attention, and that band would be Wheel. James Lascelles is their primary songwriter, lead singer, and he was kind enough to give me some time to talk a little bit about their newest EP, their recent signing to Inside Out Records, which has largely built themselves into the hub of everything progressive in modern music, as well as their recent tour through the United States for the first time and their upcoming tour in Europe. If there's anything I learned in the midst of this interview, James is very well-read, has a wide range of interests, and he brings a lot of that to the lyricism and the concepts behind a Wheel album. And I think you'll find that as well when you hear this. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, and enjoy this interview with James Lascelles of Wheel. Hi, good morning, James. Well, how are you doing today? Yeah, good, thank you. Just been doing some writing and some basic life stuff, and um, just, uh, I guess, getting ready for the end of the year and um, starting to plan the tour we're doing next year as well. Uh, What about yourself? Uh, not doing too badly for a cold, wet, rainy Wednesday afternoon. It probably uh, remind you a little bit of home, I suppose. <laughs> it really does. I mean, at the moment, there's close to a blizzard outside, so I oh, think no. rain is an understatement. <laughs> but, you know, it's Finland, so there's snow. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'll take the rain, I suppose, then. <laughs> so anyway, well, that's, it's so nice to meet you. Uh, I've been just getting to know Wheel over the last couple of years as uh, – they popped up in progressive metal playlists and such and uh, gotten to know them. I've really been enjoying everything you've been doing. And uh, oh, I'm disappointed I had to miss you <laughs> on the weekend you were here in the Philadelphia area where I'm near. Um, unfortunately, everybody scheduled their concerts for, I think, that exact same day in September. And I there were about five or six bands I wanted to see and could only see one of them. So... Uh, no offense taken. It's been so like that lately. Like oh, yeah. we've got the same thing. Just uh, it's still the post-COVID hangover. Everyone's touring at the same time. We had this thing planned way in advance. So mm. by the time we found out everyone else was out too, we said, <laughs> well, we'll go. We'll see what happens. And and, yeah. and it was good. I mean, lots of people came, so we can't complain. But you were That's not the it. only one who didn't come because there was another gig. <laughs> yeah, I, I can believe it. it. It's there's so many choices, so much at once. I gotta. I got to get a hotline to all the promoters so I can make sure, guys, you need to coordinate these things better. You're killing us. (laughs) Worse than again, I might go broke otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, hey, you guys, you were saying you just completed your first U.S. tour, right? In um, with uh, Apocalyptica and Leprous, right? First time in the U.S. Yeah, it was um, it was an amazing experience. Like, I I guess I thought I knew the country better than I did because yeah. uh, so much of the media we get over here is from the US. But um, firstly, it's way, way bigger than, um, <laughs> than I think we've led to believe. I think <laughs> nothing really prepares you for that drive across Kansas going from east to west. Mm, it's yeah. just, um, it's huge and it's it's emptier in the, in the sense of an I imagined it would be, but it's very beautiful as well. The, the nature is amazing. The people are very friendly as well. Um, I think Arizona as well, the time we were there was um, very different to last time I was over there. The the desert was just full of flowers and grass, which um, I didn't think that happened. 
so that was quite an eye-opening experience and there was a pretty much a typhoon when we were in Tucson so um it was it was pretty wild but we definitely want to come back and do it all again excellent love to have you I, I do I, I hope you're back in the Philadelphia area again too so I can see you but you know I've been known to travel a little bit when need be to see who I want to see so I'm ex- sure we come back to Philly that was a great city as well there's good people yeah. Yeah, I was. I'm, I'm glad. I'm hoping the audiences had treated you well and uh, been very receptive. This, yeah, like to be honest, it exceeded my expectations wildly. Like uh, we really didn't expect anything because we we were the first band on a three band bill. We didn't know if people were going to be in the venues already. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, all of our interactions with Americans so far have been through social media. So right. we really didn't know what the turnout would be like. But the the response was overwhelmingly positive. And um, and the shows were awesome. Like I really like the venues, and I think the, the music culture over there is it's different to Europe, but it, it's great. Like we'd yeah. love to come and do that more. Yeah, I think we're working harder to to build and and expand the the progressive end of things, perhaps because I think so much of what we're getting in terms of music is coming from Europe. So you know that we don't. That when I look at the number of progressive oriented type bands, whether it's straight you know kind of rock or whether it's metal it's it's mostly european except for a few acts in the uh in the states but it's so good to have that and i I guess i always wonder why that is it seems like there's so much great um what i'm looking for uh, expanding the boundaries types music Uh, i know there's an actual word for it but my dictionary is in my brain is failing me at the moment i'm worried (laughs) (laughs) there's so there's so much creative metal and hard rock and and rock coming out of europe especially scandinavia and, and i just mm. i'm always left wondering like wow i wonder what's going on over there that that has infused you know rock with so much more creativity than i than i feel like i hear on a regular basis from the states i don't know maybe you've got a perspective on what goes on over there that creates that i think it's a really interesting point and uh i don't think there's a simple answer i think first of all uh I think it's one of the benefits of having kind of nationalized healthcare is like if you take a risk on something as um, you know ambitious as I want to make really artistic music, right? Uh, you don't maybe have to go quite so corporate with it because um, you know you're not worried about you know if my kid gets sick and I afford to take care of them. Um, but you know I think that's getting a bit economic. Um, maybe the culture's part of it more significantly, yeah. and um, at least in Finland's. I moved here in 2010 to play with a guy who won Idols originally, just playing um, very middle-of-the-road pop music, and I, I utterly hated it. Yeah. But my, my first impression of Finland was the training for musicians here is just insane. Like, mm. um, I think they have the best trained musicians per capita on the planet. Right. I went to a bar in Helsinki Centre called Monty Malone's, just this uh, Irish pub on my first night here, and the covers band is still one of the best covers bands I've seen anywhere on earth. Just the, mm. the standard of playing was just sensational. And uh, there is just a plethora of great, great musicians over here. Yeah. So, um, again, it's free education. So um, I don't have free education in my country. Like I had to pay to go to university. Uh, yeah. um, but I think that stuff really helps and just yeah. encourages art. And um I think especially as you obviously closely observed what's happening with the scene now post COVID, like more and more of the income streams for artists are being gutted and it's, mm. it's kind of hard to week out a living, especially if you're going for something that isn't very, you know, algorithm centric regarding um, uh, music direction. So for example, 
someone said to me years ago, if you want to make money on these streaming platforms, the best thing you could do is make an album one hour long where every song is one minute long because everything's <laughs> based on place. So um, by comparison, if we do a seven-track album that's 50 minutes, um, it might be artistically very satisfying for us, and um, and I'm not willing to budge on that. Like We definitely want to sure. explore these bigger compositions, but it's very hard to make that into uh, any kind of income from the streaming platforms. So we really rely on the live thing. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of wandering here with the topic, but I guess um, we're just surrounded by lots of people who are interested in the same kind of things. And I think education is part of it. Yeah. I think culture is part of it, especially being a Brit who's moved to Finland. We've got these two different kind of musical schools that we're clashing together to make new things. And um, and I think that's true for a lot of these groups. Like I know in Leprous, um, they've had quite a few lineup changes and we've got to know them quite well over the past year. And uh, Einar is still, you know, he's composing most of the music, but they've all got really interesting backgrounds. And uh, I know that Simon, their bassist, for example, he's very much a jazz guy and there's some of that being brought to the table. Nice. Um, and, you know, lots of the bands over here tend to have that. We've uh, we just like music and and all kinds of art. It's not really limited to one thing. Uh, I think it's all interesting. Yeah, that's a fascinating connection that had never occurred to me before. The idea behind the the nationalized socialized medicine actually can promote artistic endeavors because people are no longer worried about their health care. That's I, I'm surprised this never occurred to me before. That, that's a pretty cool angle on it. I, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good well, idea. I don't want to presume too much because, of course, I haven't lived in America. Or I've visited yeah. and spoken to a lot of people and I've asked a lot of questions because I'm really, really interested in how it differs to living in Europe. But um, I've just been thinking for myself that, you know, getting even to this point with Wheel has been a real uphill slog for quite yeah. a lot of it. And just having the safety net of if we get ill, we can go to the hospital and at right. worst we get like 150 euros bill, you know, that's okay. We can manage that. So it, it takes a little bit of the sting out of the risk. Yeah. Well, uh, the inside scoop here on me is my other life. I work in healthcare oriented stuff. So I, okay, I can cool. tell you by comparison at this point in time, our, our insurance coverage system, our, our commercial insurance coverage system is um, to put it in clinical terms, a shit show. It so. certainly looks that way from here too. So I'm kind of <laughs> glad to hear it verified because I mean, it, it's just not fair. Like, um, yeah. I think it, the Americans have to work extremely hard, and there are very few protections for employees. So I'm very passionate about you know rights for people who just right. work you know regular jobs. It shouldn't only be CEOs and politicians. You get exceptions to these rules. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty messed up that, you know, as a whim, you can be fired and lose your health care or you can get a certain kind of illness that just won't be covered. Like uh, my wife was studying in the States when she was a teenager and she met a guy who's now got Lyme's disease. And oh, wow. I know he's had a lot of trouble getting that covered through the American health system yeah. um, or the treatment for Lyme's. Because, I mean, again, you can't really cure it, but it's very treatable. There are lots of, um, uh, of things that can be done to like ease suffering and get people back into the workforce. And, uh, you know, it's a contentious issue. Like, um, I think everyone's got an opinion about the right way to fix this, and I don't have an answer. I think yeah. it's a really complicated problem. But, you know, I'm just all for the thing where if someone gets sick, they get the care they need. Right. It seems to make sense that way, doesn't it? It's a it's nice wild, logical and humanistic perspective, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so that's funny. I didn't expect that turn on that. All right. And I have a feeling later on we'll circle back to these types of topics as well, because uh, clearly this is something that is in the forefront of your mind based on the, your lyrics and your song and your themes. 
Um, so what have you been doing with your downtime? Like somewhere along the line, I'm not quite sure where you fit in the time to make an EP touring and, and, and now you got a little bit of downtime. Then you start touring again across Europe um, in January. So how did you work that in? It's been a struggle, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, I'm the only guy in the band without children. So um, I've had a bit more time to focus on the writing and I do most of the writing for Wheel. Um, we did the instrumentals for these songs at the beginning of the year. I think we tracked it in February or January. I think it was February. Okay. Uh, and then the vocals, as always, were a complete, to use your word, a shit show. They took about <laughs> another six months for me to come up with the topics and, um, and the right composition for the melodies. Yeah. Um, one of the real tricky things in our music I always find is, um, I mean, you can analyse it and put it apart and you can work out what the metres are in each bar, but that's that's at least not what I'm thinking about when I'm composing the parts. You know, it just feels good. I write it down and then yeah. I need to decode it to, to put new stuff on top of it to arrange it. And the vocals are supposed to be the bit that take away the need for you to understand that as a listener. It's supposed to be fun, you know, not like mm -hmm. you need a, a musical degree to understand it. Yeah. And synchronize, for example, on DEP, um, just trying to come up with something in that chorus where the bar changes pretty much every bar, which doesn't sound like homework. That took a lot of tries. I've had about five or six working versions of those lyrics before we got to that point. Right. Um, but finding time, it's just the nature of the business now. Like um, music needs to be kind of a conveyor belt. Like I think the luxury of the 90s bands of being able to take a four or five year hiatus and live off what they do. And then uh, drop an album later on with a lot of funding. It doesn't really exist anymore. Like we, we need to keep climbing all the time, and we need to keep yeah. crafting. And um, you know, we've accepted that from the start. This isn't news to us anymore. It's it's quite daunting, and it always feels like we're flying by the seat of our pants. And I'm not quite sure if we're going to get through the next time. But you know, we're still here and we're still going. So yeah. you know, with a bit of luck, we'll at least do another album before we completely, you know, implode. <laughs> <laughs> And it, and it's rumination is is interesting in the sense that one obviously it's it's your first record recorded material with Inside Out, which um, it seems almost inevitable that any artist any band out there with a bit of a progressive leaning will eventually gravitate to Inside Out these days. <laughs> so um, it's not entirely surprising uh, for you. What what did that represent that that move to to the new label? It's a funny thing, because back when I started working on music a long, long time ago, I always thought the record deal was kind of, that was the bit, you know, once you've got there, you know, you, you've done it, and yeah. everything else is going to be all figured out, and there'll be a straightforward road, even if it's a lot of work, and it really is kind of the opposite, like, I mean, up to this point, um, we have a very good management um, called Odyssey Music Management based in Germany, and we met them through Apocalyptica, who we were touring with. Uh, their manager actually flew to our second ever show and signed us right then. We've been working ever since. And uh, we've released the last two albums through their label services as part of the management company. And um, we didn't really know what that meant or what to expect, but the right. response has been very, very good. So by comparison now, doing it through like a bigger, more traditional record label, um, my initial impression is the staff are great. They're really into what we do. They're very supportive. Um, they are, it's way more hands off than I thought. I always thought there was some point where, uh, you know, you get some kind of oversight or, you know, maybe someone saying, hey, the production's wrong here. You need to redo that or we can't have that on the record, change that. It's terrifying how much kind of uh, control I have over the artistic direction of what we do. 
And frankly, I don't want this much control. I'd love to make it more of a collaborative effort, but at least where we are at the moment with, um, with touring and everything else around the group, it's uh, it's mainly I'm doing the bulk of the writing. We right. will change it in the future. We'll get there. But it's uh, I guess the short answer is nothing much has changed from our perspective. You know, we're still just grafting away, trying to write. We're going on tour when we can. We've still got to manage the finances of the business, um, you know, all that boring stuff. But um, it, it looks cautiously optimistic right now. Like the, um, we have an amazing team around the group. I think the players in the band, we've had quite a few lineup changes, but the, the team we've got at the moment, I think this is it. These are the ones. And uh, they're amazing people to work with. Everyone's super professional. They're very, very good musicians. And um, it's kind of, this might be an odd thing to say as well, but it's kind of strange how seriously everyone seems to be taking it because, mm. you know, this started off as a project coming out of my apartment, just literally yeah. writing it on this computer. So going from that to being able to tour internationally is uh, absolutely surreal. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of great acts that came out of uh, basically somebody's bedroom or somebody's garage out there that <laughs> next thing they knew, they, 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 snowballed into something huge so you know the, yeah, too true yeah and <laughs> and it's funny that double-edged sword because what you describe in terms of inside outs first time i really asked anybody i think about what their label relationship was like but what you describe is about what i would like to expect from a label that has focused on creative and unusual and progressive types of acts get out of their way let the artists create but I do hear that double-edged sword a bit, you know, with, hey, you know, this is great. I can be in control of everything. And at the same time, oh, dear God, I'm in control of everything. It's, you know, it's, it's I guess, liberating. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting. What would you, in terms of your inspirations when writing the lyrics uh, for the songs in Rumination, what, what would you, you know, uh, cite as your inspirations for, for that album? There's a real mixed bag at the moment, like um, a blood drinker. So my wife is a YouTuber and she makes true crime content currently in Finnish. She's starting an English channel too, uh, which should be up and running next year in case anyone's interested. But um, we talk a lot about these cases she covers at home. And one of the many recurring themes is that the killer's names take on this uh, almost deific notoriety. Right. The, the victims kind of fade into the background. Their names are forgotten. They're almost mm. they're just a footnote in the legacy of the killer. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's not supposed to be judgmental because um, I don't think anyone is purposely choosing for things to be this way, apart from maybe some TV networks like these people who just made the Casey, uh, Casey Anthony documentary, which mm. is contentious as hell. But it's just this idea that we're we're so separated from the suffering of the um, of the victims, and especially when you look at the, the superficial charisma of people like Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. you know they really um, we kind of managed to displace what they actually did and the horror of their their actions just by the maybe an, an interview where they crack a few jokes or something, right. and um, it just says. It, I'm not sure what it says exactly, but it says something about, um, I guess, our ability to avoid um, suffering in the sense that we can separate this person who's cracking a joke from, you know, dissolving somebody's body in a bathtub. Yeah. Um, so there's something about self-preservation there. Um, but I also think um, we've got it all backwards, don't we? Like um, this focus on trying to remember the killer and giving them all this extra attention. 
like um there is an antidote to many of the ills in society which yeah. just you know stop looking at it stop reading it you know if it's a product we don't want we stop buying it if it's kanye west saying the holocaust didn't happen or hitler was great we could just right. not listen to him you know yeah it's a and um i think it really ties into that so i just thought that was an interesting idea to play with and, and blood drinker is just about you know we are all the blood drinkers we've got this thirst um and this fascination with this violence and yeah. the the kind of social outliers who are capable of doing things like this so i thought that was at least one song yeah <laughs> interesting oh. and, and i i felt like the the theme or the current underlying most of the songs were similar in that sense you know like almost coming to grips with someone who has uh, behaved in either deceitful or outright harmful ways you know to to their fellow humans and and uh, to an extent calling them out for a reckoning of sorts i think that's a really fair point i hadn't actually connected the dots there really before but that's a very good point you could interpret it that way i mean impervious was a bit more direct like um i was watching boris johnson over the summer you know the, the uk prime minister yeah. just clinging on to the coattails of power while just scandal after scandal happens and uh, there was no accountability and yeah. I just started thinking, what has this guy got to do to lose his job? And in the UK, we've got this thing where the Conservatives have been in power for a very long time now, like over a decade. Wow. And um, there's this common thing people say where, you know, at least it's not the other guy. And I just keep thinking, you know, what have they got to do for people to stop saying that? What is the degree of, uh, you know, calamity that needs to happen for people to say, hey, you know, maybe just changing who's in charge at least once every 10 years might be beneficial for a society with, you know, a democracy. <laughs> Uh, so I was really frustrated about it and just um, kind of venting some of my anger about it. You know, it eludes me how he survives. Um, and even now, like um, after Liz Truss was um, kicked out about right. a month ago, you know, he was on a plane immediately, coming back over, trying to get back in again. It's, yeah. it's staggering to me that um, he even assumes that there's a potential to have a career again. But, you know, he has got this fanatical following, like, yeah. you know, a certain political candidate in the States whose name I won't mention. <laughs> <laughs> not not gonna mention them here <laughs> but you know let's heed our own advice and avoid that one yeah um, you know the thing for synchronized that one was something i haven't really done before i was uh i originally thought because of the music in the track that okay. should be something very sad and um i was originally trying to write about um somebody i studied with at university um took their own life earlier this oh, year wow. and uh, i didn't know the guy that well but um he was a really really lovely person and yeah. uh I don't think many people close to him really saw this coming because he really kept all of his cards very close to his chest. I thought that's what the song should be about. And I tried to write it maybe five or six times and it just felt like I was um, kind of bilking it. It just, it, it didn't feel appropriate. It didn't feel right. like it fit and it didn't feel sincere. So in the end, I did the complete opposite and I wanted it to be about forgiveness, which is um, a subject I think many of us struggle with. Like, um, Right. I don't believe in the religious sense of forgiveness, where it's this absolute thing that everybody deserves. I think there are people alive who don't deserve to be forgiven. And I think the only people who are arbiters of that are ourselves. Um, but, you know, life is short and where it's possible to forgive somebody else, I think it's a very healthy, reasonable thing to do. So yeah, just trying to um, work through some of those things in my own life and kind of let some of my own pain go, I guess, cathartically. Uh, that was... Um, what led to that song yeah okay and yeah at one if if you were if you had boris in mind at 
that was exactly what came through to me. Like that was who I had in mind reading through the lyrics. I went, boy, this feels like this is all about Johnson at the moment. So, um, <laughs> believe it or not, being over here, I, I, I have been largely aware of what's been going on in the UK more so than, than probably, I guess, I don't know, the average American, I don't know, uh, but, uh, it's, I, I love Obviously, the UK. I've been there many times. And so I've, I've even had thoughts of moving there. Um, so, you know, like it's one of those things just kind of come up a little bit and I pay a little bit of attention to it. And, and yes, I was with you with the thought, wait a minute, he's coming back and then anybody's going to be okay with that. Okay. No, I, no, please. No. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, uh, your, your intent was pretty clear to me, at least in that sense. And I could kind of, and, and I guess, is that where you came up with the title rumination? You know, like you, you had these things churning over in your mind quite a bit, and that was the overarching theme? Well, I think it was just a really poorly formed joke, to be honest. Like a, <laughs> I've been going to therapy for quite a long time and mm. uh, it's been you know, really useful. And I know this won't shock anyone listening to this because Americans are very open about going to therapy. In Europe, not so much, but I'm trying to you know, um, fuck the trend. Huh. Um, but we've spoken a lot about rumination as these intrusive thoughts that are just yeah. radio noise. You know, 70% of the thoughts that pop into our heads are pretty much useless. They aren't who we are. Right. It's just a random, um, uncalled for thoughts. And I thought that everyone probably wants an album, but we're going to do an EP. So we're basically ruminating. So let's call it rumination. Nice. And uh, it just seemed to fit. <laughs> It fits. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, but and, and and that's the thing I've learned about you and about wheel is the more I've delved into it, that there are these these closely tied themes that that run throughout the albums and 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 the ideas uh, are interconnected. And and I think that's one very progressive of you, obviously. <laughs> but it's well, awesome. You. <laughs> yeah, I, I always like that idea, the interlocking thematic uh, lyrics. Uh, that go through albums and things like that, as opposed to maybe just a, you know, a kind of randomly collected bunch of songs. You know, it's it, what I'm learning about you here is you're very much a, a deep thinker and uh, very humanistic in your perspective of things. So those themes of, you know, people finding ways to connect and move past differences has definitely been one thing I've seen that's gone throughout your work. So uh, and uh, that's what I mentioned earlier when we talked about the idea of, you know, the how nationalized healthcare can actually have benefits that you don't necessarily think about, such as freeing people up to to be creative and to explore uh, art and such. You know, I kind of went from that moment. I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm not surprised he's bringing this up because that's where his thoughts go uh, a lot. You're really kind to say, I mean, I don't think I'm a particularly deep thinker. I just always think that I want every song we make to have something to say, and I want it to say it well. And um, kind of where that falls tends to change from album to album. Like with, uh, I think Moving Backwards was really angry. Mm -hmm. I was just um, fucking pissed off about, you know, the state of things and how unfair it all was. And yeah. um, I think a lot of that was, you know, just pure catharsis, just... Um, Throwing out this vitriol like um, Vultures. Vultures was about James Gunn losing his job as the director of one of the Guardians of the Galaxy films because uh -huh. he'd written some tweets with some frankly tasteless jokes. 
yeah. in the um, before 2010. I don't remember the exact date. Right, right. He's been reinstated now when he got his job back. But I was just thinking that, you know, in the age of the Internet, where everything we do or say is there forever, this seems like a really unhealthy standard. Like, especially if you imagine, like, you know, we both grew up at a time before this was a problem. But yeah. imagine being 15 and having access to these tools now and then being called out for it 20 years later or 30 yeah. years later. Like, I think there's a real danger to that being abused. And um, and we need to give people a way back. Like, um, that there's a massive difference between making a tasteless joke and literally writing hate speech. And I yeah. think that takes a degree of common, common sense to uh, discern the difference. Um, so that was really um, venting that kind of frustration. And then Wheel was, um, that's more about surveillance and right. um, just how it's not part of the conversation anymore. Like um, it's so normal to us that nothing we do is private and that what we do on the internet is absolutely accessible not only by governments but by corporations to right. either make the search engines we use or the, the operating systems on our phones um, and of course governments can access all of this data which um, people like Snowden um, shed lights on you know many right. years ago now and um, I almost feel like so much of what we go through this theater we have um, about who's going to be elected this season it's almost like reality television and it's this um, this big festering distraction um, that stops us actually considering any of these issues, which maybe we should ask a few more questions about. You know, uh, yeah. Amazon's Alexa, um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the device. Is it the Echo? Yeah. Um, how many of those have sold? And how many people are absolutely fine with having a listening device made by a private company in their home? And bearing in mind, you know, my parents have one of these, my brothers have one of these, like a. Uh, it, this is really normal. I'm not trying to single anybody out. Like, sure. I think all of us have gone, hey, this is great. That's way more convenient than writing down on my phone or whatever. I'll take it. Right. Um, but, you know, we are in this situation now where whether it's COVID or whether it's election cycles or who's in charge of the party, like in, in the UK, uh, we're constantly fixated on these seemingly imminent disasters that feel like they need all of our attention. And and sometimes that's probably the right choice, like with COVID. You know, back in uh, 2020, no one could call what was going to happen next. Right. It's completely uncharted territory. So I have some empathy. Governments are made up of people, and I do believe many governments made a sincere effort to handle that as well as possible. But it still is a very effective smokescreen, isn't it, to mm. stop us actually addressing any of these other problems. Sorry, yeah. I'm rambling again, aren't I? That's interesting, yeah. and And... That level of thinking about how the interconnectivity, whether it's technological or social, is is really evident in in your writing, and and it's it's fascinating to read through and talk about because it is it is it's something that in so many ways affects all of us. You're not writing about hopping on a motorcycle and going down to the bar and drinking all night. <laughs> no, that's like you're you're Wait getting... for the next album, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And an interesting to note, and actually, I was kind of pleased to see in, in, in digging in some things as well. You and I share interest in an author who does not get nearly the attention he's deserved, and being Dan Simmons. Oh, he's and amazing! It, Completely yeah, great. I, I had that same perspective as you, having read the Hyperion Cantos. I don't remember how you know, probably a couple of decades ago at this point in time. What a massively fascinating work that was but uh, all of his stuff I mean, he's got so many other he's he's a genre hopping 
writer who who's done so many things that are fascinating and and it just always seems to be you know like they've talked about trying to make a movie out of that series you know i think scorsese was uh involved with that at one point in time we're talking about it that was years and years ago at this point so clearly it, it died in development hell i suppose but you know, then then they made a TV show, The Terror, which was such a good book and such a creative thing on his part. So I'm, it's fascinating to to hear how that impacted you, and and translated into a song, at least one, if not more. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it blew me away, and I just read it at the right time. I think, like many musicians, I was sat at home um, six months into the COVID pandemic, just um, looking at what was happening to the industry and thinking. I've made all the wrong choices in my life and you know what the hell am I going to do how am I going to pay the bills and um it, I read that book and the timing was really really good just contemplating you know um coming to terms of our own mortality and facing death and this indifferent seemingly hostile universe um and just how small that makes um can make you feel I guess yeah. um and where I came out, um, like I'm guessing you did from what you're saying, was just to be optimistically nihilistic about it. Like, um, yeah, I mean, on the cosmic scale, none of this matters. And, you know, within a few generations of our death, no one will remember who we are. And that's that's fine. I'm really okay with that. In fact, yeah. that's weirdly comforting, I think, in some ways, that it's okay to try and fail because ultimately it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think regarding the coming to terms with death thing as well, like um, if this is it, you know, but I think we do forget that none of this is a given. I forget it every day. I get stuck in my own problems and in my own life. And, you know, like most people feel, I think, just running from one obligation to the next and putting out fires as they come. Yeah. And uh, you tend to miss the point where you stop and smell the flowers, don't you, just because life gets in the way. And um, I think the book really nails um, expressing that in, in a very, very great story. Like, um, I thought yeah. it was an amazing ride. Like, the first two books, the ending of book two was phenomenal, and that was trumped by the ending of book four, which was quite an achievement. Yeah, yeah, I've got to go back and reread those. I think at some point in time and revisit them because yeah, it's it's been a long time, but I and and my memories so a lot of it have faded. But it is such a dense work. But you're right. I think in so many ways, it's it's and it, it helps with a perspective adjustment. I would say, you know, in terms of from time to time, we we just need to you know, reassess back and forth between the macro and the micro in our lives, you know, recognizing that, yeah, you know what, there, there is a very, very large and different universe out there and we are specks of dust in all of it. And then recognize, well, okay, where do I have my own real circle of influence and my circle of control? What can I actually do? Hmm. Can't fix the macro, you know, I can only adjust to it. <laughs> more so and and what can i do in the micro terms of addressing my own existence so, yeah and i also think we have this illusion of control regarding as you say the macro um, yeah. you know whether it's who's in charge of countries or or international warfare or you know suffering in a country none of us have visited yeah um, and of course you can donate to charity you could go there and become a, a missionary or or a worker for a charity there's all kinds of stuff that you could potentially do but no single person can take on fixing the whole world's pain. It's just, it's not doable. It's not feasible and it's not reasonable. So I think coming to terms with that and just the limits of the influence we can actually have, which I think 
is pretty much we can take care of the people close to us and try not to be a dick to everybody else is kind of <laughs> the really short version of that. Yeah. Um, but again, that, that book absolutely killed it, I think, on that. Yeah, absolutely did. So I don't know if you've dug into the rest of his stuff, but I absolutely recommend it if you haven't gotten to it as of yet. I have. I've just been trying to remember the names of the books. Um, the Terror you mentioned, was that yeah. the Americana one, which was kind of Stephen King-like? Um, no, that's the one um, uh, about the, what is it, 1834 expedition to find the Northwest, uh, Northeast or Northwest Passage over Canada. I have I not read that. I'm going to check that out. I'm going to put that on my list. Yeah. It, uh, I can't, shoot, I can't remember the names of the people involved, but it was the British exped- expedition that disappeared. And he basically found a way to roll in every speculation and theory behind what happened to them. Because for decades, 100 years or more, nobody could find any evidence of what happened to them. They just were gone. And there were like little bits and pieces here and there that maybe people dug up, but the ships were gone. It's just like they just disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, Interestingly, I think a couple of years after the book came out, they did finally find one of the the shipwrecks. Uh, Was was his theory right? What's that? Uh, was, was the theory in the book correct? Um, no, he, he fictionalized a lot of it, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, and rolled in a supernatural thing. I think some aspects of it were, um, mm. you know, like like you know, a lot of it at that point. They, but I, I thought I don't know if they can ever confirm for sure. But you know, things as simple as poorly soldered tin cans with the, their food in it that led to, you know, lead poisoning and. Um, what botulism i guess or whatever i forget what now what disease that leads to oh i've got to read it like um i think uh he does one of my favorite things about him i was just trying to check out on my reading list i read ilium and olympus um <laughs> after i we did resident human and there's a lot in there about the iliad um, oh, yeah. and he's lots in there about proust and what i really like about dan simmons is he doesn't assume that you know about either of those things and he has a really you know nice way of kind of bringing you into the loop and making you feel like you're both on the same side of the right. table talking about this body of the work which i haven't read yeah um so i don't think there's anything pretentious about it i think uh, he just enjoys that kind of art and he wants to share his love for it through his fiction right and uh, i think that's the that's the best kind of, of art in my opinion where you don't have to make anyone feel stupid. It's entertainment first, but it's done in a way where there's also this. Um, I, I think educational might be the wrong word, but at least it's um, it increases your kind of understanding of the interconnectivity of culture. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, he's he's pretty brilliant in that way. And I think the book you had in mind, the Stephen King ish book, is uh, if I remember the title correctly, Summer of Night. Yes, which was a good and there one. were two sequels as well. That was yeah. really really good. Great book. Yeah. And I think one of my favorites of his also is Carrying Comfort, which was the first one of his I read. And that was just a fantastic book. He actually wrote a character so well and so likable that midway through the book, when that character died, I nearly almost couldn't complete the book. <laughs> it was like, wait, no, 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 no. You can't kill so-and-so. I, ah. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll finish it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to check that out. Thank you for the recommendations. It's been oh, a sure. while since someone's told me something I want to read this much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, glad I could do that. You know, it's, it's again, it's one of those things like Dan Simmons has been my, my, my kind of author hero, you know, that never gets the credit. And uh, so it was so cool to find somebody else that was familiar. But it's crazy more people um, aren't aware of him because I completely agree. Like a, 
Uh, talking about cancel culture is uh, again you yeah. bring it around full circle. You know, he, he made a comment about Greta Greta Thunberg, the um, environmental activist from Sweden. Yeah, um, and I don't even remember what the comment was, but it, it was a snotty comment on Twitter, and um, I, I read the comment and I disagreed with him, and I right. just thought so because I disagree with this. Did I then throw out everything else this person has done in their life? Are they just a caricature of this 140-letter-long comment? Right. And um, I think that's something all of us should keep in mind when we're reading whatever comments on YouTube or, or a thread on Reddit. It's uh, I think we have this toilet wall syndrome where if people get a thought into their head, they've just got to put it down. But I think quite often these people, they're not monsters. They're just – it's a throwaway thought. They just, okay, I think this in this split second ends up. And maybe they'll never think about it again. Um, right. And at, at least I'm trying to be more compassionate about that stuff because the, the outrage engine, I think that's another illusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. And then, and that I think is that thought process that, you know, from time to time, what am I putting out into the world? Mm. Even if it's this 140 character or less comment that may be critical or negative or something does it need to be out there and does it help anything yeah i might feel good in the moment for for spouting off and at the same time what's the long term you know and, and what am i what did i just put out into the world was it negative was it positive was it helpful was it unhelpful and you know from time to time it doesn't hurt to say you know maybe i'm gonna just delete that tweet or maybe i'm not gonna hit send I completely agree with you. And I mean, I'm not very active on social media. I'm trying to get a bit more so on Instagram these days just because I don't know. Um, someone a long time ago convinced me it matters to some degree. I'm still not 100% sure that <laughs> I completely agree with that. Yeah. But I think it's um, social media is a double edged sword. You know, I think it's incredible that we have this direct line of communications artists to people who like our art. Um, and it looks like there's no middleman, even though there is, and it's for social media company. Yeah. At least, you know, we can communicate for free directly with people who like our music, for example. But I think the other side of it is um, it, it's a bit of an illusion, isn't it? Like, it doesn't really reflect the real world. Right. I think uh, numbers, plays on Spotify, don't always accurately portray, you know, the size or success of a band. And um, I think community comments on, on Facebook thread they're always coloured by the kinds of people who are on the social media platform. Like I didn't know social media is ageist. Like literally, um, you can pretty much generationally look around Facebook. It's right. it's age group. Oh, yeah. Then beneath that, Instagram. Then beneath that, TikTok. Right. So you know, even there, that there are these these shades of colour which kind of distort reality and make right. us think that this stuff is more true than it is. So um, you know, it's it's difficult to remain mindful about it, and I'm not always mindful about it. I think it's impossible to constantly be aware of this stuff. But um, I just think it's that's the the dark side of the sword. Yeah, yeah, truly, yeah, truly. So I'm curious too. It's I hear getting back to the music <laughs> that you've been busy making so diligently. I hear a lot of influences. Um, and the style and the foundation of, of wheels, musical styles. I'm, I'm kind of curious, both who would you describe as the foundational inspirations? And also what are you, what are you listening to these days that that's adding new layers to that, that particular uh, aspect of your life? I think um, the band, which, you know, most people want us to talk about at this point is cool, just mm -hmm. because um, we've been compared to them so many times. 
Um, and th there's absolutely a nugget of truth in that. And honestly, I'm not remotely offended. People want to compare us to Tool. They're a fantastic band and I love their art. Um, but at the same time, I've always been a very big fan of stuff like Radiohead and Alice in Chains, Soundgarden. I listened to a lot of new metal stuff when I was growing up, and I think there's some of that in there. I'm really into Carnival and the Sugar. Uh, and it really depends on the day what I listen to. Like, um, I did an interview on uh, Radio Rock in Helsinki about a month ago, and they wanted me to talk about inspiration um, just broadly. And I was talking about my brother, who um, he was two years younger than me, but he was a chorister at Westminster Abbey Choir School, which wow. the uninitiated, it's the massive church next to the, um, the kind of politics buildings in the centre of London. So we'd go and visit him every weekend, and they were all classical musicians. You know, there were six students per year, but that's how elitist this school was. Wow. But, you know, just as the older brother, I, was, I never felt excluded. We got to... I learned about Debussy and Rachmaninoff and Chopin through my time going there and lots and lots of church music, um, you know, some of which I really liked and some of which brought me to tears. <laughs> um, but I think um, I'm, I'm really into, for example, um, I love uh, Rachmaninoff's kind of bigger pieces of music. It's these really elaborate ten-finger chords and right. this really particular <laughs> colour of harmony, harmony, which I think is um, it's very aggressive. It's kind of sharp. Um, to use uh, an adjective to describe it, whereas by comparison, Debussy's stuff is very dreamy mm -hmm. and um, and it's very soft and it's warm. Um, so I think if I just want to listen to something while I'm doing something else, like I just moved to a new apartment and while we were unpacking, we, we listened to a lot of piano music during that mm -hmm. time. But earlier this year, I was really digging Meshuggah's new album. I thought that was amazing, like it always is there. Mm -hmm phenomenally talented they're another band with just a an incredible sense of style like right. they, they're always spoken about like the the forefathers of gents yes. um, and i don't think it's really a fair description because i mean the guitar tone and maybe a very simplified uh, connectivity between this unison riff that's uh, tied with the bass drums with a four beat over the top but yeah, that's kind of what they do. But I think it's kind of missing the point of what makes it so good. Like um, the way they get these loops that fit around a four beat um, so effortlessly, it sounds like, well, I could just write anything and put, you know, over the top and it's going to sound like Meshuggah. But it's really, really difficult to get it to sit just right the way they do. And um, there's this real beauty to the, uh, that these, these polyrhythms, which they come up with, uh, and I think even in terms of heaviness, like um, it's very, very heavy. And yeah. I think people get really excited about how heavy it is. <laughs> but at least to me, that's the the part that interests me the least. I just I love the rhythm and the right. um, and the harmony of the riffs. They've got this really unique um, stylistic thing which they've been doing for a super long time now. And the latest album, it I think Clockworks and uh, that whole album. What was it called? Um, I'm going to hate myself for forgetting this later. <laughs> the album before the latest album, it, it was very technical. Yeah. I think the latest album is frankly a bit less technical, which is the first time they've gone that way in a while. But I think they've really gone back to kind of uh, just re refinding the core of what makes the band great. Like, um, right. I love the previous stuff. I think the technical album is fantastic. I'm going to have to look this up. This is going to absolutely ruin me otherwise. One second. You're your brain may work the way mine does. The minute I try to think of something, it plays keep away with the name or the title. 
any second now. <laughs> yes, okay. So the new album is called Immutable, and the mm. previous album, the technical one, is called The Violent Sleep of Reason. There you go. Uh, they're both great. They, it's really good sounding records, amazing playing. Um, but that, that really speaks to me. I've listened to yeah. a lot of that. And I think otherwise, I've, I've just dabbled in lots of stuff lately. Like I was checking out Hippo Traxer. I heard. Um, uh, Say that name again. Hippo Traxer. They're building. Okay. And they're, they're young and they do this uh, fairly heavy, quite industrial sounding proggy metal stuff. And I quite enjoyed that. I dug into the contortionist for the first time and i've got to say i love what i heard it's they're, they're a great sounding band i definitely yeah. want to see them live at some point um and outside of prog I, I just like stuff where it feels like people playing um right. i think I, I love finding the humanity in composition so just uh lots of older music from the 60s and 70s too just um keeps me going yeah absolutely interesting so i have to i'll have to look those up now that you've made because that hippo tractor is a name i is a name I've not heard yet. And it's unusual that I haven't at least heard something sometimes because I'm, I'm just kind of all over the place, but yeah, yeah. it's, <laughs> I, I'd like to think I've heard everything and I haven't. Let's, that's, you know, I'll drop my ego. Oh, you and me both. Like, I'm, I love the fact that I can stop <laughs> being surprised. I only heard Tom Waits for the first time in 2020. Oh, wow. I'm deeply ashamed to admit that. Like that first album, our bassist is a really big fan and he just put it on in the van when we were touring in europe yeah and i still remember exactly where we were we just got off the ferry in rotterdam in the morning um, and we were driving to a gig in holland and we were all tired and pissed off and he, he put it on and old 45 was the first track and it just melted me like the performance on that record is sensational wow. so um, it's really great that you can still be surprised <laughs> yeah really yeah it's it's it is and that's one of the things i always love about that kind of progressive end of things is, is looking for the new looking for something i, I recognize uh, to a large extent probably it goes to say for for almost any age group but i certainly know with my age group i can look around at times and you know i i, I see people that are still kind of stuck on what they were listening to back in the day and and they're the old guy yelling at clouds or telling the kids to get off their lawn because ah, music like why i used to listen to it's not like that anymore guys you're just not looking hard enough you know like i'm i'm constantly on the prowl for something new that's that's what i love and whether it's new to me mm -hmm. you know like you discovered tom waits or whether it's you know new new whatever you know do something different. Do something nobody else did. Um, I can only listen to the same things over and over again for so long before it, it just kind of sinks into white noise for me. See, I've got a theory about this. Uh, I think, first of all, the first kind of experience we have with that connection, um, music that really resonates with us or films or whatever, video games, books, I think it's not really about um, the work, which, don't get me wrong, like, it's normally a really great book or it's a really yeah. great film or a great album. But I think it's about that feeling. It's about recapturing some part of youth and naivety where we didn't know what we now know. Right. Because um, comparing everything new that comes out to everything we've known before, I mean, I think saying it's less special isn't fair, but yeah. it's certainly um, less overwhelming, I think, 90% of the time because you have a frame of reference to what people are doing. Yeah. Um, like, you know, if I think of the first time I heard Led Zeppelin, I'd never heard anything like that and absolutely blew my socks off. Right. Um, 
And by comparison, when Meshuvah's new album came out, I had a vague idea of what they were going to do, and it did surprise me multiple times. It subverted my expectations, but it's still a Meshuvah album. You know, that right. they're not going to put out a ukulele for one of the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think it's just chasing this feeling, this nostalgia for something we've lost and trying to recapture this, this youth and this carelessness. Yeah. So um, I think most old men yelling at clouds, I think that's, that's really what they're screaming about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm still young, damn it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't, don't care what the body says. I'm 23. I'm sticking with it. Hey, I'm backing you up. That's fine by me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so you got the tour coming up. That looks like that's going to take you a whole lot of places. What happens after that? What What's what's on the agenda? What's on the plan for Wheel? Well, at the moment, I'm making tentative steps into writing the next album. Like It's really early stages. I haven't finished a song yet. We've yeah. got um, several folders full of ideas and riffs and beats and lyrical concepts. And um, I think we, we have way more than one album in there. But it's, yeah. it's just uh, we don't really get leftovers with the kind of music we make. Like right. the, the level of investment it takes to finish something like Synchronize, um, we just we commit to an idea. Like I tend to write lots of bits and the, the bands tend to go, hey, you know, develop that one. We like that. Yeah. So. That's at least at the moment how we're trying to do it collaboratively. At least they can choose, you know, the the ideas we we push through to be full songs. Um, but I think I have no idea how long it's going to take. Like every time we we make an album, it's a bit different. We we've got the experience we have from making the last one, and right. you know, moving backwards to Resident Human, we've gone from making something quite processed and quite controlled and aggressive to something more open and human. Uh, which was deliberate and fit the themes and the, the kind of mood of the album and the material. Right. And then we don't want to get stuck making only big songs. So we did this EP of really short, more direct songs because, you know, that was interesting to us. Yeah. And and now I'm not really sure what we're going to do next. Like, um, I think it will be more extreme. Like it always tends to go for us. I think there'll be parts that are way heavier than what we've done before. And there'll be parts that are way mellower than what we've done before. Yeah. And, um, I think, at least to me, that's what makes great music is just having having a journey where um, it invites you along and it really takes you from that one to ten. Because uh, especially in prog, I think people are more willing to commit to kind of uh, trusting a band to get you to the payoff at the end. Like if you think of um, uh, Numa by Tool from Fear mm. and after that big development in the C part, when... Um, it comes in with the distorted guitar and the right. palm muting and then the tempo drops by like 30 BPM. And there's a huge payoff for staying yeah. with them through that. And uh, there are loads of other good examples like Sky is Red by Leprous. I think um, that's another song with fantastic payoff at the end. Right, and right. It's, uh, it's all in structure. So I think we'll do, we'll do longer stuff, we'll do shorter stuff again. But the short answer is we're going to do a new album right. at some point. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I... It's usually the expectation is, but it's, it's good to hear, you know, that, that you have a little bit of something in mind and at the same time, you know, let the flow take you where it goes. And honestly too, I hope you take some time to just relax a little bit during the holidays and, and between tours. Cause I, you know, I've never toured, but I do understand it's, it can get grueling. But I mean, it's an, it's amazing getting to do what we do. And yeah. I still can't believe that we get to do this for a job. I mean, um, we have a few weeks off over Christmas. Like I'm going to the UK to see my family with my wife for nearly two weeks. That's going to be really nice. Yeah. And um, we come back, we've got maybe 
two weeks then and we're back on the road in Europe again. Um, but it's it's great to do. Like um, the bands, they're, they're like a family at this point. We know each other extremely well and they're great people. Right. So we have a good chemistry on the road and you know, no one's acting like a, like a dick, frankly. We, <laughs> we all have our moments and you see everything because you're on tour all the time. Yeah. Um, or, or at least you're in the same space all the time. Uh, but, you know, I think we, we really care about trying to be fair to each other. Right. And, um, yeah, it's like a home away from home at this point. Like, um, I always think home is the people you're with. It's not so much where you are. And right. luckily, you know, the guys in the band are, are awesome. So that makes it a lot easier. All right. Cool. Well, I, I hope you guys have a great tour. I hope it's easily enjoyable. It goes smoothly. The fans are receptive. Uh, again, I'm greatly enjoying rumination and plan to put that on repeat for a little bit and listen to it as much as i can but i you guys are always in the mix with whatever i'm listening to most days at this point in time because that's just where my sensibilities are well, and i'm really enjoying that means a lot. yeah absolutely you guys deserve it you know you're you are making waves within the uh within the prog world at this point in time especially the the, the harder edged prog world so you know tour like you did here with leprous and 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 uh, apocalyptic of like wow you know like what a great what a great <laughs> uh, lineup that would be for a show so I, i'm very sorry i had to miss it but next time definitely i'll hold you to that and yeah. Yeah, thank you for the kind words it really it means a lot and we don't take any of this for granted the fact yeah. that anyone cares at all about what we're doing is is very very humbling so thank you absolutely you deserve it so uh other than that, you know, folks, uh, I hope uh, tell the band, I wish you all the best, wish you all that success with the tour. I look forward very much to the next album, uh, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be as amazing as everything else that you've done up to this point in time. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. I really thank you for your time today. Thank you, and back at you. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. Anytime, and uh, see you soon, I hope, in the uh, States. Definitely. And take care. Merry Christmas and all that jazz. And... Let's do this again. And to you as well. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Take care. Bye-bye. And there you have it. My interview with James LaSalle's of Wheel. Honestly, what a great interview. How often do I get to geek out about authors, lesser known authors that I really enjoy with somebody while we're really supposed to be talking about music. Love it. Enjoyed every minute of it. I absolutely wish the best for James and Wheel and all of them as they move on to their new endeavor with Inside Out Records, their tours, and I look forward to what they do next because you know what? I I have a feeling it's going to be pretty goddamn good. I just have that feeling. They've impressed me thus so far and i have nothing but the utmost of respect for him and the band and i've got high expectations guys you got to live up to them because yeah right what you're thinking about is how much you can please dave at bleeding edge my thanks once again to james lascelles of wheel hopefully we can do a conversation just like it once again in the near future thank you for joining me once again for bleeding edge interviews just a quick reminder you can find me on social media facebook twitter and Instagram. If you haven't already, please check out my other interviews. They are available wherever you find podcasts. Just search under Toxic Radio. And of course, they're always available at ToxicRadio.net. Meanwhile, remember, Bleeding Edge is on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern, right in the middle of the Brain Salad Sunday, where we feature all day long prog rock, 
prog metal, anything that pushes the boundaries. This is Super Dave, signing off.